The Cannabis 101 podcast is presented by Stone Smiths. Have you seen the slash? Made by users for users. Engineered for flavor. One of the coolest features around. A built-in loading tool. Learn more at www.stonesmiths.ca. What's happening? We'll tell you right now on This Week in Cannabis News. My good friend David Wiley from the OZ joining me as usual. You can find them online at OkanaganZ.com and check them out on Twitter at OkanaganZ. Uh, David, uh, great to catch up, uh, see you and hear from you again. How are things uh, in the uh, post-Halloween world of uh, the Okanagan? Hello, hello. Oh, it's lovely. <laughs> now, I'm not looking forward to winter, but I got to say that of all the holidays, Christmas is my favorite, and that's coming up. Now, I never celebrate before Remembrance Day because I think it's really important that that comes first and we take time to honor people who are making those sacrifices. And then it's Christmas, my friends. Then it's Christmas. All right. Yes, we all should be making sure that uh, uh, we're wearing a poppy and, and you know go out and uh, donate a few bucks to buy a poppy as well each year. That's obviously very, very important. Uh, also very important is this first story that we are going to talk about. And, uh, man, I, I am so excited uh, to talk about this, the fact that uh, there is uh, almost a million and a half dollars going towards research when it comes to cannabis and mental health studies. And this is a story that uh, I'm sure you are excited to post on the OZ. Yeah, groundbreaking cannabis mental health studies. And this new research is, is the some of the first in Canada, including uh, the first research involving Métis and some of the first Indigenous-led research. So there's a funding for 14 different community-led research projects coming from the Mental Health Commission of Canada. And up to $100,000 is earmarked for each of these projects over two years for how researcher, for researchers who will be exploring uh, how cannabis use affects underserved populations across the country. This is, again, some of that research that's coming out that we're able to do, and I'm very excited to see. This is going to address what researchers say are significant gaps uh, on cannabis and mental health when it comes to Indigenous, Métis, uh, 2SL, GPTQ+, seniors, immigrants, refugees, ethnocultural and racialized populations. Uh, basically, all communities that are experiencing some layers of oppression. So uh, it's great to see six of those projects are including initial examinations of cannabis use and mental health in Métis and First Nations communities. Uh, and this is what they're what what the mental health association is calling a step in the right direction toward the decolonization of indigenous knowledges um, so much amazing research is happening there was other research further research announced over the last week or two um, by a pair of bc-led teams and not just to mental health these are researchers that are examining um, how to improve the, the growth of cannabis and, uh, and to, to grow cannabis that's more mildew resistant. 
Um, so it's happening in all sorts of different sectors and mental health research is somewhere where we really just haven't seen uh, uh, you know, a dearth of studies, especially with these populations. And I'm just so glad to see that that's happening. Yeah, I, I uh, when I saw this story, it uh, just uh, kind of lit things up for me because I can't wait to, you know, for this research uh, to be done. And then down the road at some point, somebody in a uh, an appointment uh, with uh, a mental health physician, you know, could get uh, cannabis recommended to them if it's not happening already with some of them. So I'm really excited about this. And, and also, uh, I really like the uh, the graphic that you guys have uh, at the uh, the website, okanaganz.com, about cannabis in the brain. I think that's something that people can also check out and kind of see how it, uh, you know, you know, how their brain works uh, on a graphic form. And that was really interesting to me to put up too. Um, you know, there are hundreds of compounds in cannabis and uh, they alter and affect different parts of the brain. And if you're interested in learning how that does affect you, uh, it's a pretty good resource. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's, it's you know, there, I, I just love the, the fact that we're just learning so much more uh, each and every day when it comes to uh, cannabis. All right. In your neck of the woods, there are some unhappy retailers right now, though, in the mm -hmm. province of B.C., Boy, the tension between private and provincial stores has just been simmering. Um, you know, in the past, the private stores have accused some owners anyway, have accused the province of having an unfair advantage, especially when it comes to online sales. And when you're selling cannabis through the provincial government, just like anything else, you've got those deep, deep pockets. Now, more than 400 people have signed a new petition that's calling on the BC government to halt its expansion of the provincially run brick and mortar BC cannabis stores. Uh, this petition is uh, really kicked forward by a group called the Association of Canadian Cannabis Retailers or ACRES. Uh, and it's been circulating quite a bit on social media. Uh, basically, they're saying that the province of BC is opening over 200 taxpayer funded government BC cannabis stores over the next couple of years. And they make the argument that that's at a cost of hundreds of millions of dollars to taxpayers, which seems to them unnecessary and wasteful right now, especially in the midst of COVID, where we have all kinds of uh, other things that money could be spent on. Now, Acres is arguing in the petition that a private enterprise really has the capacity to provide access to regulated cannabis across the province. Uh, and they're saying that the investment uh, in publicly owned infrastructure is an unnecessary expenditure. So uh, if you're interested, you go online, check out that petition, see what they have to say. I'm sure that this isn't something that is um, just being felt in BC. I know that there's frustration uh, in other places and other provinces when it comes to um, you know, basically stores trying to get into the market or in some senses, facing competition from the government. Yeah, well, and, and I can only speak for uh, the experience here in Alberta, and by no means am I a retailer, but I do talk to a lot of them. And, the, you know, the issue here isn't that the the province has a bunch of stores. It's that there's just so many stores in general. The the cap kept going up and up and up. So, obviously, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of strange that uh, the province, it, correct me if I'm wrong, in BC, the province is the only place to get online delivery, or delivery right, is from the uh, province of BC sent to your house? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So with private retails, 
retailers, what people can do is they can uh, click and collect, basically, as mm. it's called. You go online, you reserve your cannabis, you come to the store, and they'll even bring it out to you at the front door in case you don't want to go in. But you can't have it delivered to your house. That's something that the provincial government um, has a monopoly on here. Yeah. So it seems it just seems... You know they already have that monopoly. Do they need stores? Uh, I just I, I I can see and sympathize and empathize uh, certainly with uh, with a lot of the what the retailers are going through in this situation because they're like, hey, if if you're going to have a store, then let us deliver. Like it's you know you're 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 trying yeah. to kind of come onto the turf that you 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 have a monopoly on the other side of the fence. Why do you need to come on this side? So I, I totally get what they're going at here. And I understand that some people are saying the sentiment online in some cases is that, um, you know, the, the whole point of legalization was to create access for people and to make sure that uh, that people can get their hands on legitimate legal cannabis. So provincial stores, brick and mortar uh, does have the ability to make sure that every community, no matter how small, is served. However, we're just not seeing that in BC. Every community, um, big or small that can, has people that are interested in opening up a cannabis mm. store privately. Okay, let's move on to this story about beverages. And uh, beverages, big predictions, big business. Uh, that's the, the story coming out of uh, greenentrepreneur.com. Um, I will preface by saying I'm a little bit wary about <laughs> big predictions, having seen so many of them in the, at the beginning of the cannabis industry. But certainly I think drinks are, drinks are going to have a big impact. I think so. Uh, you, cannabis drinks are definitely expected to be a major disruptor in the beverages sector over even just a short period of time. Uh, you know, just how short? Well, a report called Disrupting Drinks that was published earlier this year by cannabis market intelligence firm Prohibition Partners predicts the market for cannabis infused beverages is going to hit $4 billion by 2024. So that is not insignificant. Uh, there are some pretty big signs that uh, drinking up your highs taking off. You've got established brands that are forming strategic partnerships. You think Molson and Coors, uh, Ocean Spray, Constellation Brands, which uh, has a big stake in canopy growth. So the, these companies are putting significant resources into cannabis drinks. And these are big companies with their finger that's really on the pulse of the trends in that market. Uh, so if they feel that cannabis drinks are going to become big, you know that there's research that's backing it. Now, it's not just the big players either. More brands are getting into the market. In Canada, we're seeing new drinks coming uh, out really regularly. Heck, my own fridge is stocked with about eight different drinks right now from five separate companies. And that doesn't even count drops or powders that you can add to any liquid. And there's so much room for growth. There's different types of beer, different sodas, cannabis infused coffees. And I will point out that not a single cannabis kombucha is on the market yet. I would love to see that. Uh, and, you know, that's another point is that when it comes to cannabis drinks, they're really an alternative for health conscious consumers. If you compare calories in cannabis drinks to other drinks, take beer, for example, which is generally about 150 calories. Some of the drinks that are cannabis infused out there, like sparkling waters, are really only four calories. So that's a big difference. And they're, they're capturing new consumers who just aren't into smoking. Uh, demand is really only going to go up. All kinds of studies are showing that. A.T. Kearney found 30% of Americans are willing to try you know, cannabis-infused non-alcoholic beverages. Data from a research company Headset found that there was a 14% increase in the sale of cannabis-infused beverages. And more and more countries and U.S. states are legalizing. 
creating more potential customers. And you know, I'll, I'll make one more note on this too, that cannabis infused drinks are getting more and more advanced. Uh, I've talked recently to the CEO of the Balance Company, and that really is their business to try and improve the science when it comes to cannabis infusion. What they're trying to do is give cannabis beverages a similar onset and offset to alcohol. So you can go out, you can drive to a friend's place or drive to somewhere where you can um, basically partake with others. And so these drinks will hit faster and they'll ebb away faster, meaning that you don't have to go and sit somewhere for hours and hours on end like you would with certain types of edibles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, the convenience factor is going to be something that I think people and and you know obviously the uh, the health conscious like how many commercials do you see for light beer like as light as possible yeah. this type of beer for that health conscious person that you know works hard and then wants to relax with a beer i think that is going to be a really really big market and especially you know if there's ever any kind of advertising uh, how do you not look at some sort of ocean spray dreams commercial uh when it comes to a cannabis infused drink with the the way that was uh is rolling right now so i i think that the, there is definitely room for big growth i hope it follows uh, through with these predictions and we see that uh, that drinks really explode and the technology uh, really takes off as well. And that kind of um, explosion uh, could go hand in hand. What could happen uh, in the next little while down south uh, in, of course, the United States when we talk about the election and the kind of impact that could have not just there, but here as well. I know that we're all just so, so sick and tired of hearing about the election. Yes. And... We're on the cusp of it, you know, talking about this uh, on election eve in the U.S. Now, when it comes to cannabis, the U.S. election is going to be fairly interesting. And no matter what the result, uh, chances are that cannabis is going to continue to go the way of decriminalization or legalization in the states. If there's one issue in this whole divisive uh dumpster fire, to borrow a phrase of an election, it's generally that both parties seem to agree that cannabis is something that people want and are ready for but would also help the u.s you know polls are showing we talked about this earlier polls are showing that u.s public opinion has really turned around on the issue of legalization and that a majority of a, of adults at the u.s are now saying that cannabis should be legal for both medical and recreational purposes. You've got Republican lawmakers that have sponsored uh, cannabis legislation that's been proposed by the Democrats. And the incentives right now to lift restrictions on cannabis economically have only gotten stronger. We, with COVID-19 and the way that economies all over the world have suffered, legalization is a way to create jobs, to bring in tax money, to give an economic boost and ever important the idea of ensuring that there's social justice for people who have been incarcerated for something that right now people are making a profit off of. So where do the two main uh, parties stand? Well, really the two only parties in the US, a win by Democrat Joe Biden could lead to actual full federal legalization with medical cannabis. When it comes to recreational cannabis, he's a little more tepid and the Democrats are looking more at the idea of decriminalization. So we'd still see some form of patchwork across the states. Um, and as far as if President Donald Trump is reelected and the Republicans, Republicans keep control of the Senate, 
we've seen evidence that they really are willing to uh, work together with the Democrats, at least on this one issue. So what does that mean for Canada? Well, we have some of the big companies in Canada, like Canopy Growth and Aurora Cannabis, that are really set to make a move when uh, when the, the states legalize federally, if that were to happen. Uh, Canopy, for example, um, would it would greenlight the acquisition of acreage holdings, and that's an American cannabis change. So we'd see the floodgates really open up. Uh, now, a big question as to what this would mean for Canada is whether or not we would retain our competitive advantage when it comes to this. Uh, and really, the jury's out on that. We won't know until this actually happens. Yeah, and and that's where... You know, there are people uh, that think that the United States has that competitive advantage already, which is weird to say because they're actually not yet in the game as far as legalization, but some think they already have that competitive advantage. It's weird, isn't it? I I think so. And we have companies here who not only have uh, gained a ton of market share uh, and a um, brilliant reputation around the world for different operations that are taking place you know but we've really set the rules across the country on cannabis and uh while they're not what we'd like to see in all aspects uh, this is a moving target and certainly these laws are evolving i i would like to say that when it comes to uh our our good friend the wonderful cannabis plant that Canada is a leader and, uh, you know, fingers crossed that we will stay there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it in the big picture thinking, you know, if there's some sort of legalization or some move forward by the United States, does that make Canada uh, take a look and say, okay, we've been in it for a couple of years now to give ourselves a competitive advantage or, or be able to compete. Maybe we relax. Maybe Canada and Health Canada and, and the governing body says, okay, we don't want to get left behind in the race that we were the only ones in for a long time. Maybe we have to relax. Maybe this actually forces Canada to take a look at it and say, so far, so good. Let's open up a little bit and, and, and be a little bit more open-minded when it comes to cannabis and the regulations. I'm not sure, just spitballing, but I hope so anyway. And I think that that's somewhere where Canada is really behind. If you look at some of the companies in the States and the way that they're able to market, I think about Martha Stewart's new CBD company, for example, mm -hmm. and just the packaging on her new gummies. It's, it's artistic, it's beautiful. Uh, it really appeals to a certain demographic, and that's something that we should be doing in Canada. Uh, you know, this this <laughs> this isn't a dangerous product. It's it's highly regulated. It's very safe. We have responsible companies and some of the brightest minds that are working on it. And at the end of the day, we're talking about a plant, my friends. Mm -hmm. Speaking of uh, slick packaging and uh, great design, uh, I know that uh, <laughs> you have one of these in, in your uh, household. It's the Slash from Stone Smiths, and of course, they're uh, uh, brand new presenters of the show. Uh, and listen, I we, we talked about dabbing one time, and, and dabbing can be really, really scary. I think this is a great introduction to dabbing, and, and great for the experienced dabber as well, because... The old way of dabbing, or you know, the the classic way, is getting out your torch, and that could be really scary for a lot of people. This makes it pretty easy, doesn't it? It sure does. And 
for me, you know, I've been around cannabis for a long time. I'm a joint smoker. I'm a dryer vapor. I love my drinks and cannabis 2.0. Concentrates was definitely something that I did not have a lot of experience with. I still do not have a lot of experience with. But when it came to the Stonesmith Slash, that was my introduction. And it was great to give a try to some of these uh, concentrate products that are on the market. Mm. And definitely when we talk about the buzz that you feel when it comes to concentrates, it's uh, it's different and it's pretty cool. And yeah, I'm thankful for the experience uh, that I got through through the Slash. Yeah, that, that's the the one cool thing that you mentioned, and you know, especially in in the BC area, there's a lot of really good concentrates coming out. Uh, I implore people uh, if you've never tried it, uh, give it a try. It's it is a different way, and the flavors you you really get from uh, from dabbing. So I really like it, and and I'm getting more and more into it. I was like you, I was a bong guy pretty much the whole time, and you know, <laughs> vaping has opened up so many more things, especially my lungs. They're a lot better uh, with the uh, the vaping experience. <laughs> as of late so great stuff david uh, people can check things out of course at okanaganz.com and they can find you on twitter at okanaganz thanks for chatting as always david have yourself a great week you too thanks dean